dumb sport sometimes in that you can go 58 minutes with absolutely nothing going your way until the most unlikely of heroes comes to save the day and a game that you did not lead for zero minutes and zero seconds, you end up winning that game. The Vegas Golden Knights are that example today. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Happy Wednesday to you. And we can only sum it up in this way. By some act of divine intervention, the Vegas Golden Knights are 7-4. and four. They finished this road trip 2-1 and one, and somehow defeated the Chicago Blackhawks last night 2-1 to one in a shootout. We will talk about that more in a little bit. But welcome, everybody. I am your host, Danny Webster, Vegas correspondent for NHL.com, site manager for SB Nation's Nights on Ice. If this is the first time you were stumbled upon this podcast, first of all, welcome. We are a daily podcast, Monday through Friday, talking about the Vegas Golden Knights, from news analysis to game coverage, all of that in between. Uh, You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, we're more than likely on there. Uh, If you are on Apple Podcasts, please feel free to leave us a review, leave us a rating. Any uh, feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, is tailored to making this podcast better. You can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnBGK. You can follow me on Twitter at DannyWebster21. And if you're still into the thing where you like to send emails, you can send one to LockedOnGoldenKnights at gmail.com. So last night was a thing. It was a thing that happened. It was a hockey game that occurred at the United Center in Chicago. And for 58 minutes last night, it looked to be on the verge of Vegas dropping the tail end of this road trip and going back home with a lot of what ifs and a lot of questions hanging over their head. And it would have been a damn shame if that happened because when you get a performance like that from Marc-Andre Fleury, and I know we've talked before about the load management, how you don't want him playing too many games, the current situation arises where the backup goaltender is not fully healthy and you have to resort to playing him more than you normally would. And we're talking about this 24 hours after the fact that Vegas got mollywopped and Oscar Dance got mollywopped at the hands of the Philadelphia uh, Flyers by a score of 6-2, to only for Marc-Andre Fleury to go out the following night in need of a win against a team that Vegas has never lost to and go 58 minutes and go, Vegas better not waste this damn performance. Because Marc-Andre Fleury was out of his freaking mind last night, and we will touch on some of the saves that he had. But for 58 minutes, it appeared that the Golden Knights were going to lose because of Kirby Doc's first NHL goal, which he scored at 16-15 of the first period. If that goal was the only one to have stood on this night, I am pretty sure that there would be a lot of pissed-off Golden Knights people in the organization on this day. But no, we did not see another goal until 1827 of the third period. And it came in probably the most unlikely of situations, in the most unlikely of ways, in probably the weakest one-timer we have ever seen this side of the Mississippi. Nick frickin' Holden, with his second goal of the season at 1827, of the third period, off an assist for Mark Stone, who, by the way, extended his point streak to seven games. Nick Holden from the right circle 
off a one-timer with the man advantage because Vegas pulled Flurry with a minute and a half to go. And Nick Holden, I, I, I am still stunned to say his name. Nick Holden tied the game at one at 18.27 of the third period and somehow put Vegas in a position to at least get a point because they sure as hell didn't deserve the second point. But if at least they got one point, then at least that, that's somewhat of a successful uh, a successful end to the road trip, given how that game was going. In overtime, no goals. Go to a shootout. Vegas' second shootout in sorry, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, in five days. And Vegas somehow, and I'm going to keep saying the word somehow, because the game, this is a game they should not have had any business winning whatsoever. The Golden Knights win in the shootout by a final of 2-1 to one in the shootout with goals from Jonathan Marchessault and Shea Theodore after Jonathan Tay scored the opening goal in the top of the first. I guess you can call it top of the first because they did go first. Uh, but Vegas did uh, get stops on Kane and DeBrincat before Marchessault and Theodore put the game away and send the Golden Knights to a 7-4 and four start with a victory over the Blackhawks. They improved to 7-0. and oh, all time against Chicago and they now return home with a very interesting homestand coming up starting on Friday against the Colorado Avalanche. Marc-Andre Fleury with 31 saves, a fantastic performance as he won game number 446, giving him sole possession of seventh place all time on the league's win list. And now he is. It's it's a it's going to be a mad dash between uh, Mark Andre Fleury and Henrik Lundqvist as to who will main who will uh, gain fifth place all time and who will get sole possession of that because Curtis Joseph is sitting at four fifty four, Lundqvist is at four fifty, Fleury at four forty six. Who knows with the way the Rangers are playing? I I don't doubt that Fleury might actually get a chance to pass Lundqvist. And then eventually uh, take over Curtis Joseph for fifth all time. But not to be outdone, however, a fantastic performance by Robin Leonard, who made 33 saves on 34 shots. Uh, This was just a pure, magnificent display of goaltending. If you are a fan of top of the line goaltending, this was the matchup for you. Robin Leonard made some fantastic saves in the third period and in overtime to keep this game tied and to keep Chicago with a one nothing lead. But this was a game where Marc-Andre Fleury had to make ridiculous saves all night long just to even keep this game one nothing. If he lets in any of these goals, it's probably 2 nothing, 3 nothing, 4 nothing, and we're back to square one with this. But Marc-Andre Fleury continues to be, right now I would say, the best goaltender in the NHL. And, and I know that He's not undefeated like, say, a Carter Hutton. But right now, Marc-Andre Fleury is just on another level. And I know it's early, but here he is, 7-2. and two. GAA is down to 2.04. Save percentage is at a 9.37. Right now, I would say he is the best goaltender in the National Hockey League, and I don't even think it's close. When you look at some of the saves that Fleury made, you just are left to wonder how in the world did Vegas only how did Vegas get a second round pick from the Penguins to take this 
human, I guess, and to make these ridiculous saves that he had absolutely no business in making. I mean, I can go down the list of like four absurd saves that Flurry made. And the first one comes at, what, 839 left in the first period. Flurry, known for to pull out the occasional double pad stack, does so on Patrick Kane and keeps this game scoreless. Really just tees it up from the right circle. Kane is all right there. And Flurry just dives and makes the save. And it was at that point where I'm like, okay, he's probably going to have to make about five of these in order to keep this game close. Only a few minutes later did Doc score his goal, and really Flurry had no chance on that. It was a great pass. Then Flurry makes another fantastic save in the second period. And of course it had to be the chess save. It was about to be a 2-0 game. Uh, great feed from Patrick Kane. Uh, only to be denied and somehow keep this game scoreless. Not even a few minutes later, at the tail end of a power play, Flurry goes from left to right and makes another fantastic save and makes it with the pad. It was unbelievable. By the, We're counting here. Those are three fantastic saves. We're looking at possibly a 4 nothing game by this point with six and a half to go in the second period. And if it were not for Flurry, we'd be in the position of talking about this. And then one more time in the third period, still down one nothing. Flurry goes from left to right to stop a one timer from Alex DeBrinkat. I mean, I'm left wondering what in the world would Vegas be without Mark Andre Flurry? You watch this man play and him make the saves that he does, and you're just like, how in the world did Vegas luck out in getting this guy? And again, we're talking about a guy who's turning 35 in November, and he's still making saves like this. And he's still playing like this is the best hockey of his career. And he's still playing like he can be a Vesna finalist this year. It's absolutely absurd to think about what he's been doing. And if it were not for him, Vegas would be in a very uh, unenviable position where they, yeah, they'd, they'd be, they would be what, six and five? And sure, they would be still over 500. But as I touched on the other night, you can't go into Friday's game against Colorado having lost to Chicago in in any fashion, and especially in the fashion where Flurry is standing on his head making those saves. If he doesn't make those saves and he doesn't perform the way that he does, Vegas probably gets blown out blown out of the building. And if they get blown out of the building, what's the morale looking like? Especially after playing one period where Gerard Gallant completely changed the lines and force Mark Stone to play with Cody Eakin and Brandon Peary because, God forbid, that combo needs to get anything going. And I'm sure we'll touch on the rest of that line at some point because they are not getting it done. But right now, Vegas is very fortunate to be 7-4. and four. They are very fortunate to be getting a win in Chicago. They are very fortunate to have won that game when not leading at any point. And it's all because of Marc-Andre Fleury and Nick friggin' Holden. Nick Holden is the hero. Once again, Nick Holden is the hero. I mean, these are words that if you told me I would be saying in 2019, I would have probably laughed hysterically in your face. Nick Holden is a hero. 
Nick Holden and John Merrill has probably been your most consistent defensive pairing to this point, which is absurd. I mean, this this group had a rough night against Philadelphia. I think they were both a minus two. Not that plus minus really has anything, uh, any merit to go off of, but I mean, they struggled last night. They're, they struggled on Monday night. They come back against Chicago and they play extremely well. And Holden and Merrill, this was a pairing that was, I guess you could say, lauded for being absolutely terrible last year. And there was even a stint where why in the world is uh, Gerard Gallant playing these two together? They're not driving any offense. They're not dri- they're not producing anything outside of being stay at home defensemen. I don't know what is going on with this pairing, but it's working. They haven't been terrible. Holden has looked very good in his second season with Vegas. Again, this is someone who was expected to be a healthy scratch for the better part of the season. But of course, due to the injury to Nate Schmidt, it's all hands on deck. And Nick Holden has been playing well. Again, now he has two goals in the season which is more than a lot of good players right now in the NHL. Let's see if the Norris Trophy candidate, Nick Holden, will sustain this for the entire year. But Holden and Merrill have been very good. And now you're left to wonder, how much do you shake things up when Schmidt comes back? And again, based on comments from last week, it does look like that Schmidt and Alex Tuck will be uh, making their return to practice rather soon. Whether that is uh, likely tomorrow, because I'm pretty sure Vegas is going to have an off day on Wednesday. Uh, Whether that is likely tomorrow or whether that is likely Saturday before they play Anaheim, uh, I would expect to see Schmidt and Tuck on the ice, at least practicing rather soon. But it's interesting to look at this. How can you take Nick Holden or John Merrill out of the lineup? I, I don't think you can take Merrill out of the lineup. He's been playing very well. Holden is the one where I think he's really earned a chance to be uh, an everyday defenseman. So when Schmidt comes back, you're looking at, you know, McNabb, Theodore, Schmidt, Merrill, and then Bischoff and Holden. Because again, I I don't think you can ride the Holden England pairing as long as you can. I don't think you can make it's going to be a disaster waiting to happen. So you got to make the decision at some point. Is it Holden or is it England? And yeah, Derek England has actually been very serviceable through the first part of this, uh, of these 11 games, but how much more can you rely on someone 37, 38 years old to be your third pairing defenseman when you have a younger version in Holden and you're already working, you're already working a younger defenseman with England I mean, what is what is the purpose of not having, you know, a, a guy like uh, Holden working with Bischoff? Now, again, I, I think it's a completely different situation if you were to look at this from, say, Nick Haig. If Nick Haig was skating with Nick Holden, I would say that that pairing would be astute for disaster because I think your best bet at getting the best out of your 20-year-old rookie defenseman is playing him with the elder statesman and playing him with Derek Anglin. It's a whole different ball game when you're playing with Jake Bischoff. 
Jake Bischoff, who has been a steady hand in these first, you know, few games that he's been in an, an NHL defenseman, he he's not going to light it up in, on the score sheet, but he's doing a lot of the little things right, and that's what you're always looking for when you're looking at trying to evaluate the talent on this blue line. You're trying to see if they can do the little things right, they're, that they're not overdoing it, and that they make the smart little plays to turn things into the other way for Vegas. And so far, Bischoff has been able to do that in the course of these three games. He's made a couple of very key plays in the defensive zone that you got to wonder would Nick Hague make at that level. You got to wonder if he would be able to, you know, turn those plays into offense at the other end. And that's what Bischoff has been doing. And I look at it from that standpoint where if Vegas can really ride with a Bischoff-Holden pairing, I think that would be fine. But right now, I don't think you can take Holden out of the lineup just because Holden has played very well. And the fact that he's played well with Merrill tells me that those two, if they can stay consistent for an entire season, that's going to help that blue line tremendously. We're talking about guys who should not be paired together, and it was bound to be a recipe for disaster. Not only that, they're your second pairing, and they're playing well. They're not going. They're obviously not going to put a lot of points on the board unless you're Nick Holden going for the Norris Trophy here. They're not going to put up a lot of points, but they've just been a steady hand right now. They've been a steady presence, and it's worked for them. And if Vegas can continue to just get that steady presence until Nate Schmidt returns, and then you can figure out the pairings once he comes back, I think that Vegas right now is in prime position to at least finally have some stability at the blue line, which is something that they've lacked for the last number of games. And if they can get that, that's going to solve at least one of their problems. Now, the second problem is trying to figure out how in the world they're going to score. Because right now they've been struggling to score at five on five. I think it's now been, I want to say, almost game time equivalent of about four and a half games since Vegas scored at five on five. And th- and that's a bit concerning. I mean, obviously the power play is dangerous and it was dangerous in a few stints last night. And then if you want to count the fact that they had the six on five and the holding goal to tie the game. Yeah. The, with the man advantage, Vegas has done pretty well, but they've got to start scoring at five on five. And that third line has got to get start scoring at five on five. Cause if Mark stone cannot get Eakin and Peary going, I, I feel so bad for Cody Glass having to be in that situation. Eakin and Peary continue to struggle. And based on their struggles, Gerard Gallant had to make the move to send Brandon Peary to the fourth line in the second period and bring up Will Carrier to the third line, who, by the way, made one hell of a play that almost resulted in the tying goal. He made the hustle along the boards to win the puck, uh, made the deke to get away from the defenseman, and then walked in on Leonard and Leonard made a big save, but Will Carrier, his forechecking allows you to have that, uh, that extra presence offensively. Now, obviously sometimes when you're talking about Will Carrier, you have to be very concerned about his wrecking ball mentality and wondering if he's ever going to you know, hurt himself again. But Carrier is one of those guys where it's like, He's proven he doesn't need to be on the fourth line, but the numbers game dictates that it has to be that way. Now, obviously, I don't think you want Brandon Peary being your fourth line winger because good 
God, he might get killed out there. But I think if you're going to keep Perry in the lineup, it would not hurt to move Carrier up. I, I know Carrier and Reeves have been a very good tandem as far as the forecheck and as far as the hits game is concerned. But I don't think it would be a bad idea for the Colorado game on Friday to move Carrier to the third line. Get that forecheck going with Glass and Eakin. Just, just to see if that could ignite a spark. Because those two are getting their chances. Peary, is, Peary just looks lost out there. He just looks lost. He's not... There was, there was an instance, I, I want to say, was in the second period where Peary was coming up on the net and he was all alone on the right side. And I can't remember who made the pass to him. But if Peary makes this play, he's got a good scoring chance on Leonard. Puck hits him right on the tape of the stick and it just trickles off. Like, Brandon, buddy, what are you doing? What, what is going on with 73? Like, this isn't the guy that was fighting for a roster spot after going back and forth between AHL Chicago, and it was deserving of a roster spot last December. And now all of a sudden, it's like he can't, he can't figure out how to play hockey. And he's getting a golden opportunity here to be on a third line with Seacoff suspended, and he's just not playing well. And I don't know what the immediate fix could be until Alex Tuck returns. But man, Brandon Peary is just, he's just not there right now, man. He's not there right now. So I think going into Friday's game, it would not hurt to put Will Carrier on that line. Just to get that forecheck going, kind of see if they can create some scoring chances in the dirty areas and just make something happen. And Hopefully, you can get something out of Peary on the fourth line, kind of get his ass in gear. But right now, I think that it's fair to say Brandon Peary is just not cutting it. And I would be obviously, I don't know if he'll be on AHL Chicago by the time uh, Alex Tuck comes back. But man, he's just not there right now. So. We've been talking about a little bit about it. Uh, the game on Friday against the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, Vegas is off today. Uh, I would presume they would be off today because of the back-to-back, especially on the road. So they need a rest day. I would presume that would be today. But I would pres- also presume that they'll be back at practice on Thursday with probably not a morning skate on Friday with the game being at 3 o'clock. Uh, it's going to be a big game. Obviously, Colorado is one of the better teams in the Western Conference to begin the season, and they keep playing well. They lost to St. Louis the other night, but they're a dangerous team, and you gotta you got to somehow contain the McKinnon line in order for you to get a chance to win. And we do see the return of Pierre-Edouard Belmar to Vegas. Uh, obviously, after signing a deal with Colorado in the offseason, he got his money, he got his term, and it was something that Vegas couldn't do, even though I think Vegas would benefit greatly with having Belmar in the lineup right now. I think uh, he's playing very well in Colorado right now. And it's good to see that he's performing well and continuing the pace that he was on last year. If not, he's exceeding it, especially in the offensive in the offensive end. So the Avalanche will be in Vegas on Friday. Puck drop is at 3 o'clock for the Nevada Day game. 
I would presume it's going to be a whiteout, which the whiteout I'm not a fan of because nobody ever really commits to a whiteout. If you're going to commit to a whiteout, you better put the announcement out like five days in advance because there's going to be the good couple of thousand people that are like, hey, let's wear red, let's wear black, and it just doesn't look good. If you're going to commit to a whiteout, commit to a whiteout. And if you're going to commit to a whiteout, you better have made the announcement like days in advance. So we're going to break down the Colorado game tomorrow and then kind of figure out what in the world we're going to do to kill our time between now and Friday. Because this is this is a very weird schedule coming up for the Golden Knights. And we got to figure out you know how we're going to divvy up the content and whatnot, especially on this podcast. So we'll uh, we'll talk about the Colorado game a little bit tomorrow and we'll uh, get you ready for that potential Western Conference final tilt because those I don't I don't think anybody would be opposed to a seven game series between those two I, I think it would be a whole hell of a lot of fun so we'll break that down tomorrow we'll talk about what Colorado brings to the table and the challenges that they present and uh, we'll uh, we'll come back and hopefully good hockey shenanigans keep happening but Vegas is seven and four they went two and one on the road trip Probably the most meh two and one on the road trip that I've ever seen. But you know what? This is why they play 82 games. For games like this, for moments like this, and they play 82 games just to get stupid, stupid wins out of their pocket like this. So that's going to do it for us, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Locked On Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We will be back tomorrow to talk about the Colorado game and figure out what else we're doing from there. So thank you guys again. I am Danny Webster. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Locked on Golden Knights, and we'll see you tomorrow. Have a good one.